0: again, everybody. So glad that you're here. My name is Alan. If you are new or visiting with us, uh, welcome to the greatest of all services on Sunday. This is it. Good pick, good pick, good pick. Uh, uh, We've been in a series called Identity, as uh, perhaps you've uh, picked up on that, but um, we are now in week four of this five-week journey, and essentially we're asking this question, do, do we really know who we are? That if we allow ourselves to be honest, as we talked about this in week one, that there's somewhat of an identity crisis for many of us in terms of, uh, do I know uh, who I am and how God wants to use that in His story in in His kingdom? Last week, Jan talked about uh, in week three talked about a new identity, and. The dog tags were available for any of you who picked up one of those or wanted one of those that say, child of God or children of God. That's who we are. We are sons and daughters of the king of the universe, of the creator of all things. And so that is is a great message. If you did not hear that message last week, highly encourage you to listen to that message uh, about our new identity. That is our identity. That's our universal identity, However, That's for all who choose to follow Jesus, that's who we are. We are sons and daughters of God, children of God. What I wanna talk about today is our unique identity. That under this umbrella of we're children of God, there's a uniqueness that each of us bring to it. Some of you may recall in the 80s, there was a TV show called New Heart. And on that show, there were three odd woodsmen. Do you remember their names? There you go. There you go. You're going back there with me. Hi, my name's Larry. This is my brother Daryl, my other brother Daryl. And there's some level of amusement to that. It's my brother Daryl, my other brother Daryl. And, and the humor with that, of course, is what kind of a mom would name two of her kids Daryl? And you just kind of wonder what the story was, and, and it's, just, it's just terrific. You're children in that family, but they lost some of their identity because they're both Daryl. Daryl, come here. And who do you know Uh, who you're talking to. No, around that same time in the 80s, there was uh, a boxer named George Foreman. Do you remember what he called his son? George Foreman. And then what he called the rest of his boys? George Foreman. He had five boys, named them all George Foreman. And when he was asked at one point, why did you do such a thing? He said, I've been hit in the head so many times. How many names do you expect me to remember? And so he just kind of simplified it all. There's something... Humorous and wrong about that. Let me just tell you, the point here this morning is we are not all George Foremans. That we we are not all just children of God, so boom, we get stamped with all the same thing. There is something unique about each and every one of us. What I'm doing this morning that's a little bit different than the way this journey has been so far. So far, it's been a a, a targeted audience for everyone, weeks one, two, and three. This morning, however, I want to target those of you who are believers. Those of you who would call yourself a Christian, you are a follower of Jesus. What Jan talked about last week in terms of responding to the invitation to be a son or daughter of of God, to be children of God, you've embraced the new identity. That's who, I'm ta- that's who I'm talking to here this morning. Now, if that's not you yet, if you're still exploring, if that's still uh, something that you're considering about this whole Jesus thing, I'm so glad that you're here, thrilled that you are here. And to this morning, or I guess this afternoon, uh, now you can kind of pull the curtain back and get a glimpse of what is this whole Christian journey all about, perhaps that can help you in your decision as far as whether this is something you're interested in or not. Well, that's where we're going here today, talking about unique Identity As we head in that direction, would you bow your head and pray with me? Father God, I thank you once again that we get to uh, be here, that we get to set aside some time to think about things that perhaps we would not have considered uh, this week. So God, would you uh, utilize this time? Would you uh, not just let this half hour be um, uh, just washed away or a waste, God? This is, this is a time for you. You come and speak to us assure us God that you love us as David said you because you love us because you love us because you love us you just plain love us that's why we're your children but but somewhere in there you're also inviting us into something beautifully unique so we invite you to bring clarity to that here this morning in Jesus name we pray amen about 20 years ago there was something new in parenthood in parenting that our culture had not seen before. And, and that was parents who would tell their children on a regular basis, you can be anything. You can do anything. My parents never told me that. I mean, previous generations of parents, they never told their kids that. They never said, you can do anything. You can be anything. There's only one problem with that whole parenting perspective journey. Just one teeny, teeny, tiny, not at all true. It's just not at all true. And psychologists agree on this. Since then, psychologists have, have said, you know, that wasn't the best thing to pour into a generation of kids, to say, you can be anything. You can do anything. You see, I can never be the president of the United States. Sleep well tonight knowing that I can never be the president of the United States. Why? Because I'm Canadian. I was born in Canada. I could be the governor of California, but I cannot be the president of the United States. It's just, I can't be that. That's just one thing on a list of many that I can't be. I cannot be a professional jockey. (laughs) I know some of you have wondered, maybe, maybe, no, I can't. I'm 6'4", and so that would be an odd Hi there. Oh, hi there. I mean, I would be, I'd be, take group shots, you know, group photos with my new jockey pals. I mean, I just, it's just not a role that I could be. I also can't be a professional basketball player because I'm only 6'4. Plus, I'm really not that good. I mean, that's, that, that's a factor as well on there. Uh, but, but limitations are not a bad thing. I mean, having, having limitations in terms of, of what your unique identity is, it's not a bad thing. Closed doors are as helpful as open doors in terms of identifying who you are and what your game is in life, what your role is in life. Sometimes it's helpful to have things uh, 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 limited or narrowing down. Now, I say that to you. I say that to you as the privileged I'm not talking about the underprivileged in the world who don't have opportunities. It always has been and always will be part of our responsibility to help those in our city or around the world who don't have opportunities for food and clothing and education that, that you and I have. We're not to say to them, hey, that you can't be who you want to be. No, no, no. It's our job to go and help and provide opportunities for them to be who they want to be. But for you, for the privileged, for us, the message is not you can be anything. You don't have to be anything and everything. You just have to be you. You don't have to be everything. You just have to be you. I want to take a look at a, at a verse in the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. It's a letter that Paul wrote to a church in Ephesus. And in chapter two of that letter, in verse 10, he writes this. I'm going to spend my time uh, mostly in verse 10, but I want to back up to the verses prior to that as the, in the rest of our time here today. But Ephesians chapter two verse ten, Paul says, "For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do." You are God's handiwork. This word in Greek is the word "poema," which which is where we get our word "poem." It it is it's it's art, it's poetry. Literally, what this means is you are God's work of art. Another translation says, you are God's masterpiece. God is the ultimate artist and sculptor, and you are a work of art. Let me just, I want you to, if you hear nothing from me today, I want you to just walk away from here going, just hearing me say to you, you are a piece of work. That's who you are. You are are a work of art. Let me just tell you, the artist is very good at what the artist does. And the art that God has created in you is something unique. See, copies of art are not art. They're copies of art. That's why they're called copies of art. Am I being too complicated here? So you might have a Thomas Kincaid print at home, and it's number 287 of 600. And it still costs you $800, but it's just a copy. It's beautiful, but it's just a copy of art. The art, the real art, is the original is the original piece, the one and only, the unique, one of a kind, that's the art. And our designer, the one who creates the handiwork and the masterpieces, God is a unique artist. When you look at creation, that is one of the things that marvels anyone I've ever met about creation, is that it is so uniquely beautiful. even, Even if you're an atheist and you don't believe God had anything to do with any of the world around us, any of the creation around us, Uh, all of us can appreciate the uniqueness of it. It, When I was six years old, I learned that every snowflake is unique. Every single snowflake. That might mean nothing to you here in Phoenix. That's just a theory or a concept. To me, growing up in in Canada, surrounded by billions and billions and billions of snowflakes, it's amazing. You look at one and you go, there's never been one just like that. Never. There's never been a tree that is identical to another tree never been a dog. Your dog, there's no, you already know this about your dog, but there's no other dog identical to your dog. All the, 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 the cactus up there, they're all unique. Every cactus, every cacti, every cactical, every one of them is unique. Every grain of sand on the, on the beach. Every grain of sand is unique. There's something beautiful about the uniqueness of God's creation. That's who God is. He's that kind of masterful designer. So can you be anything? No. I don't think you can. I think God has made you to be not everything, but to be you, to be you. If you don't like numbers, don't pursue accounting. Just don't. If you don't like kids, don't be a teacher. I wish some of my teachers when I was growing up had learned that lesson. There's, it's, it's okay. Paul says, you are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You are uniquely made to do great things. You are uniquely made to do great things. You are a child of God, but under that umbrella, you are uniquely made to do great things. Now, this is prop day. Yeah. Okay. Woo. I got a woo. I haven't gotten a woo yet this morning. So that's why I love the 1130. Okay. I know I pull this out and you're thinking, take off your belt, put out, take off your shoes, put them in the basket. <laughs> I know that's not what this is for. I stole this from the airport, ran quickly. And, and cause I have something I want to do with this here. This here, this morning, this is not airport security. This is a bucket of uniqueness. Okay, this is your bucket of uniqueness. This is you. This is who you are. There are three things that make you unique, your unique identity. Three things that combine together to make you, you. The first of those three things is your DNA, is your, your wiring, your gifts, your abilities, the things that you were naturally born with. Your DNA. Last week in Jan's message, he talked about us, uh, being a deck of cards and that, that this is your DNA, that you are a deck of cards and that you aren't just one card. You aren't just the three of clubs, but you are multiple cards. Uh, and so, uh, um, but you're not the whole deck. You're not 52 cards. It's not that each and every one of us has 52 cards and we walk, all walk around, hi, 52 cards, hi, 52 cards. We're all the same cards and we're all trying to figure out how to do life. No, no, no. You have specific cards that others don't have and others have cards that you don't have. And so your DNA means you're born, you've got the three of clubs. You're born with that. And you've got this one, but you don't have these four. That's somebody else. And then you've got this one. And some of you, here, this is a eight of diamonds. I needed a red one because some of you have the ability to roll your tongue. Can you roll your tongue? Okay, yeah? See, the people who can do it are proud of it and they're doing it. Those of you who aren't doing it, you know you can't do it you're not even trying. You're not even trying. You're saying, I'm too cool for this, but the reality is you can't do it. Yeah, just try to prove it to me because I know you can't do it. But those of you who can do it, it's 65% of us. That's the eight of diamonds in the world of God's creation. That's the eight of diamonds. It's a tongue rolling. Boy. And, and while I was doing all this, working all through all this, I don't know where the eight, of, where the eight queen of spades is, but the queen of spades has Yeah, I figured I'd lose it, but it's in here somewhere. Imagine this is the Queen of Spades. The Queen of Spades in uh, most decks or in some decks has a raised eyebrow on one of its eyes. See, some people genetically have the ability to raise an eyebrow, and that is something I'm jealous of. I have spent uncountable hours in front of the mirror trying to raise one eyebrow, to have those moments where I could just kind of look at somebody and go, I have so been wanting to do that, and I've never been able to do that my whole life. So jealous of people who can do that. You know who can do that? Movie stars. That is the prerequisite. You want to come? You want to be a movie star? You want to make millions of dollars? Raise an eyebrow. That is the first test they have for you. Try to identify that muscle and make it happen. Some of you have the eight of spades in your deck. You have some cards, and you do not have other cards. This is your unique... Identity, part of your DNA. Secondly, is your environment. You have your DNA and you have your environment. Different DNA are going to function in different environments. And so this is the, it's basically about uh, geography. It's represented here by this uh, little plastic dollhouse that looks like a Picasso dollhouse. I know it's a little bit odd, but this is just, this is your home. This is the home in which you, you grew up in. This is the family that you were blessed with or the family that you were not so blessed with. Um, this, is, this is your opportunities as a child. This is what you, um, uh, the resources that you had available to you as far as whether you could go to this school or that school. So much of this, th- this is not your, uh, to your credit, that you have the environment that you had. Just sitting here in this room is evidence that you won the lottery in terms of environment, in terms of uh, being able to grow up in this space and have the opportunities that you have. And so it's the environment that it's not something you deserve. These are not, neither of these first two things are things that you have any control over. Your DNA or your environment, they are just spinning the wheel. It's God's design. God's the unique designer. You're a masterpiece, and God put those pieces in you and said, This is who I've made. This is not, this is not from your credit. This is not something you have power over. The only Piece in these three pieces that make up your uh, unique identity is the third one, the only piece that you have control over, that you have a say in, and it's your. I'm just calling it your ambitions. It is your your effort. It is how you take your DNA and your environment and what you do with it. It's just basically what you do with it, and that's represented here in this tub by a, a, a chalkboard. This is my to-do list. To-do list. In life. This is, these are my ambitions. This is what I want to accomplish. This is what I want to, going to, going to want to do. This is, you make your own list and you have long-term lists and short-term pieces and you say, these are my ambitions. This is how I want to use my DNA and my environment to do what I want to do with life. So we say, I want to join a band. I want to join a band and I want to travel around the U.S. That is my ambition. That's how I want to, that's how I want to roll. And, or somebody else says, I want to go to college. I want to go to college, and I want to get a great job and make tons of money. So that's my, all my to-do list. Or I want to stay at home as an adult and pretend like I'm looking for a job. That's what I want to do. I'm just going to kind of freeload off that little journey. That's my ambition. That's how, that's how I'm using my DNA and my environment to move forward. Okay, this is your, this is your unique identity, Okay, these are the three pieces that make up who you are, your DNA, your environment, and your ambitions. We put those together, and they are who you are. So what happens when this, which is you, your your unique identity, what happens when this meets Jesus? So we slide it down. We slide it down. We're at the airport, and we slide it down, and it gets to that machine, And that machine, that, that's, that's Jesus. That's you coming to Jesus. What happens to your unique identity when you meet J- Jesus? First of all, the journey to Jesus is unique in and of itself. And it's important to remember that. The journey to Jesus is, in an, is unique in and of itself based on these three pieces that make you unique. So your, your DNA might mean that you're an intellectual and you process life through reason. And so your journey to Jesus, like C.S. Lewis, might be one that starts with questions that you want to figure out and have answers to questions, and you, you research, and you talk to people, and you read books that say, you know what, this Jesus thing actually makes sense. The whole resurrection I thought was ridiculous until I looked into the evidence, and this thing really happened. This is part of historical humanity. Others of you might have more of, a, of, a, of an emotional uh, journey. You may have come to a point in your life where you hit rock bottom, and just life was was not worth living. You were struggling so much and you were grasping for something, and somebody reached down and invited you to a hope group or invited you to some opportunity to, to get help, to get pulled out of the pit, and you learned more about the role of Jesus in that kind of transformation. And so it was kind of a personal experience, emotional feeling journey that led you to Jesus. Or with regard to your uh, environment, some of you grew up in a Christian home. You can't remember a time that you that you didn't have access to who Jesus was and knowledge about Jesus and going to church and and learning these stories. And that you came to a point at some point in your journey because of your environment, you had to decide personally for yourself, is it your faith or is it just your parents' faith? Others of you have, however, your environment did not allow you to have access to, to the gospel. And so it was later on in life that you learned, that you realized what this story is and then you responded to it in that way. With regard to your ambitions, some, some of you are, you've been a believer for 20 years, and, and you're bored in terms of your spirituality, your spiritual journey, there's just not a lot of horsepower going into that right now. Others of you, you are so passionate about God, you, you're just trying to make up for lost time, and you are just trying to grab and go after whatever you possibly can. So you're, you're, what drives you, your passions and your, your ambitions, they shape this journey toward Jesus. So what happens when we take our unique identity, our three pieces, and we bring them into the presence of Jesus? Do we all just become Christian clones? Take all of our uniqueness and then zap, Jesus makes us all the same. We look the same. We talk the same. We speak the same language, sing the same songs, like the same things, don't like the same things. No, we know that's not true. We know that's not, not true. What happens when we become a believer is that we invite, invite the Holy Spirit to be present in our lives. When you surrender and, and, and Jesus is the Lord of your life, then Scripture says that the third person in the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, lives inside you. Elsewhere, Paul writes this. He says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of of our God. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, we are washed. We are washed. These unique elements that we had before, they are washed by the Holy Spirit. It's not that we, we are no longer unique, it's that those pieces they're transformed, they're changed. What I want to do with the rest of our time is talk about how each of these three pieces is affected by the washing of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so let me start with the DNA. The DNA piece here is partially affected by the washing of the Holy Spirit. You were born with certain abilities and strengths, and uh, et cetera, and and some of that stuff, because of the washing of the Holy Spirit, some of that stuff is no longer who you are. Some of that stuff no longer fits in the kingdom and God's plan for your life. Your beer bong abilities, which is a six of diamonds? Six, get it? Okay, your beer bong abilities—they've helped you in the past, but they no longer are needed. They're no longer needed. Your ability—you're married—and and your ability to flirt with every cute guy you ever meet—that's not the five of diamonds. That's that's the ten of hearts. That's the ten of hearts. You don't know, you don't need that one anymore. There are certain things that get that get washed out of your DNA. Things that things that have been a part of your thing. You know that has no place in the kingdom anymore. And then here's a the beautiful thing: there are pieces that get added. And maybe they're not added. Maybe they were there all along, but they were just dormant. But you could also see it in terms of something being added. You might, now that you're a follower of Jesus, you might start praying and have experiences that you've never had before. Some people, and I've had some of these experiences, uh, they start praying and they get images or words as, of encouragement for other people. And so you get, a, you get a word and it's not to condemn or, or other, uh, somebody else. You just get an image and you think, you know what, I need to share that with somebody because I believe that's from God. So prayer can be a connection with God in a supernatural way that connects with other people. Some people, you may have never heard this phrase before, but some people, they, they get the card, the DNA card of intercessory prayer. And what this means is that they can pray for extended periods of time Hours and hours and hours on behalf of a person or a group or a church. We have intercessory prayers here who are part of Mountain Park who have been praying for us and for you for years, praying for a city, praying for something to happen around the world. There are people who have the gift of that who just continue to pray and pray and pray. How are you going to know you have that unique card in your hand until you become a believer? What does that look like prior to coming to Jesus? You might not even know that that's in your, day, in your hand. And so it's, this, it's this, this addition of some beautiful pieces. Scripture talks about spiritual gifts. In fact, there are five times in the New Testament where there are lists of spiritual gifts, and, and of those five different places, they're all different. Each one of those lists are different. In some places, there's a list of four, and in other places, there's a list of nine spiritual gifts, supernatural things like the prayer I've been talking about, like uh, teaching and prophecy and mercy and healing and speaking in other languages, other tongues. That There are these supernatural gifts that, that they don't have much of a place before we surrender our lives to Jesus, and some of these cards appear in our hand. Now, Because these lists are different in the New Testament, there's a total of 23 of them. If you gather them all together and and cross out the duplicates, there's 23 of them. And I don't think that our journey is to say, hey, let's study the 23 and find out which one we have. I think because the lists are different, that our journey is to say, what is is my unique, what are my unique pieces? What's my unique DNA, the things that God's given to me? Which of these 23 or other lists, what am I amazing at? What am I good at, God? How do you wanna use that in the kingdom? What are you good at? That might be on the list of 23. It might be outside of that list of 23. How does God want to use that in the kingdom? Now, I've been looking at uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, and in the verses right before verse 10, verses 8 and 9, Paul says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. This is about salvation, that we can't earn it, so we can't take credit for it. But I think it's the same with our hand of DNA, with our hand of cards, that we can't take credit for these things. We can't say, look at, look what I have. I'm a joker. We can't just say, hey, look at this. Look at how great I am, because I've earned this. No, it is a gift from God so that no one can boast. We're allowed to be confident in that and say, I'm confident. I'm confident in my four of diamonds, God has gifted me with this and I want to use this for the kingdom, but we bring humility to it. We don't don't bring arrogance to it. We say, God has gifted me with this and I want to use it in whatever way God wants me to use it. Be confident in your DNA, but bring humility to it. Bring humility to it. So we have our, our DNA, which is washed by the Holy Spirit. And then secondly, what happens to our environment that gets washed by the Holy Spirit? You may be discouraged by this, but... Our environment is not changed by the washing of the Holy Spirit. It's one of the three pieces that make up our unique identity. But this piece here is not changed. You still have your family of origin. You still have the the joys and the brokenness of your family of origin. You still have your place of work. You You surrender your life to Jesus. But then on Monday, you gotta go back to work and it's the same group of people there and the same stresses and pressures there. It's the same environment. The Holy Spirit doesn't wash everyone else's heart around you. It washes your heart. It's transforming you to respond differently to that environment. Let me give you an example. Um, sometimes students go off on a, on a mission trip, a summer mission trip, or on a, on a conference for a weekend, and 16, 17-year-olds, and they're so excited. They, they've never had an experience like that with God before. And then they come home, and it's frustrating for them because Everyone else is the same. And they go back to school and all the pressures are still there. And all the stresses of school and life are still there. And their parents are still asking them to clean their room. And they're thinking, wait a minute, I'm washed by the Holy Spirit. Do I have to still clean my room? And it's frustrating in that journey. But it can happen to you too. You can go to a conference. You can do a Beth Moore Bible study. You can go to a man camp. And something radical happens to you and you get changed, you get transformed. And it's frustrating because your environment stays the same. So God is doing something in you and then you come back, but your spouse is the same. I see or she was. What happened? Why didn't she get changed like I was just changed over there? Yes, there are changes we can make with our environment and we can choose to spend less time with certain people who are poor influences or whatever, but for the most part, the Holy Spirit washes you. It doesn't wash your environment. And if that's a significant part of your unique identity, that's not something you expect the Holy Spirit to fix for you. So the Holy Spirit partially changes our DNA, has very little effect on our environment. But here's the great news. When it comes to our ambitions, when it comes to our list of to-dos, our values, here's what we want to accomplish, et cetera, the Holy Spirit comes in and washes that clean. Washes that clean. It's It's a brand new clean slate in terms of, okay... What am I passionate about? What do I want to do with my DNA and my environment and the gifts that God's given me? This is the old has gone, new has come piece to say. Okay, now, what? How God? How are you going to use this? How are you going to use this going forward? This part is washed clean. Earlier in verse three, Paul says, "All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. Those are our ambitions." and following its desires and thoughts. And so that's what happens. That's part of our unique identity. We're desiring the cravings of the flesh. The heart wants what the heart wants. And so we go after it, and it affects, it's on our list, it's on our to-do list, and we gotta make sure this happens, and we go after it. For those of you who are believers, can you remember what your ambitions were before you surrendered your life to Jesus? Could you remember how different your ambitions were before you surrendered your life to Jesus? What did you want out of life? What was your overall ambitions? What was on your to-do list for life? I wanna make money. I wanna be famous, I wanna be popular. Popular. You know, what what was on your to-do list at that journey, at that point in your journey? The heart wants what the heart wants. Now, I've met some people who, who are not followers of Jesus but who happen to have as part of their unique identity some God-honoring ambitions. They just naturally care about people. They're altruistic. They wanna love and and help other people. I've met wonderful people like that. Uh, But most of us don't fit in that category. I know I don't fit in that category. That for me, I needed Jesus in order to have a new list of ambitions. I needed Jesus in order to have a, a, a new filter for my values and what I'm passionate about and what I'm trying to accomplish with the days that I have here. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, when we get washed by the Holy Spirit, when we have a new filter, and that, that filter is found in the Old Testament and summarized by Jesus in the New Testament. He says, he sums up, sums up all the law and the prophets from the Old Testament. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So we have a new filter. We have a new filter for our ambitions. In what way does this love God or in what way does this love other people? So we take this thing of saying, I, I wanna make money. And when that ambition is washed by the Holy Spirit, it turns into, I wanna make a difference. You can still make money. Make all the money you want. Make lots of money. But the Holy Spirit in your life says, okay, now how are you gonna use that to bless other people, to love God, to love others? How can you going to use that to make a difference in other people's lives? Or you have a, an ambition, I want to be happy. And then when that's washed by the Holy Spirit, that ambition turns into, I want to be holy. Which means there might be seasons, moments where I'm not happy. Life is really hard, but the Holy Spirit in me still uses those moments to make me stronger. To bring about the kingdom in some way. Or we might say, I, I'm in it for me. What's in it for me? In this situation here, what, what, how does this benefit me? I will jump in. I'll be involved with it if it benefits me in some way. And washed by the Holy Spirit says, "What's in it for the kingdom? In what way could this benefit the kingdom?" It's just a totally different ambition. The whole thing just gets washed clean. It is, it is wiped clean. It's a new set of ambitions. Let me give you an example, just a specific example on the new ambition. When we are washed by the Holy Spirit, then there's a great question that we get to carry around with us. And that is, who are you uniquely called to love? I'm not talking about your family. Of course you're called to love your family. I mean, that's not unique. Everyone is called to love your family. But outside of your family, people who perhaps can give you nothing in return you don't benefit it, you don't benefit from them from their response or whatever what group of people what what injustice in the world what issue somewhere in the world or in phoenix or here in our church is something where you can bring your uni- unique gifting and love and serve somebody else that's a that's a new filter what that means is how, how can you uniquely be used by God to take these three pieces to bring about the kingdom, to love others. You know you're unique. We we know this. We've been taught this since we were little children. You know you're unique. You know there's nobody ever in the history of the world who's been exactly like you. It's an amazing thought. You are God's handiwork. But the trick with that uniqueness is, then we say, so what am I supposed to do with it? How am I supposed to to figure out how to make a difference? How am I supposed to use this uniqueness? Okay, I'm unique, but how can I use this uniqueness for something that's meaningful? Well, the first two things, your DNA and your environment, you don't have much control over those. You can discover those and take tests and learn more about yourself, and that's all great. But you don't have control over those. The one you have control over is this ambition. Again, this is, not, this is not your salvation. You don't earn that. You don't work your way to that. This is how you respond to that. Okay, what, am I, what are we doing with the rest of our days? What are you doing about it? Is there, is there something that you can do this week? Some call you can make? Some research you can do? Some conversation you can have? Some way that you can sign up for something that you've never signed up for? Are you gonna do that or are you just gonna let it slip for another year? And then in November of next year, maybe you'll consider it again. And another year goes by. Or on this ambition list, this kind of get after it list, are you willing to try something new? Or are you gonna keep doing the same old things that you've been doing that you're familiar with? And even though there's a, there's a hole there, there's a gap there, there's a desire for more, but you're just gonna keep on doing the same things. Are you gonna pursue this idea of... of uh, who am I called to love and serve uniquely? Who am I called to love and serve uniquely? Perhaps here in the church, we have lots of ministries here. We have every week, we have opportunities for, you know, sign up for this or come join us on this. And we're not twisting your arm. We're giving you opportunities to try to help you discover who is God calling you to uniquely love. If you don't know, uh, let us know at the marble table there and just give us your name and say, hey, I want to I jump in. I want to be a part of something. I'm just not even sure what that is yet. I want to serve somewhere. Maybe that's some other ministry here in Phoenix. Maybe that's some other ministry around the world, some way that you can then uh, uh, love and serve other people instead of just being about, about number one, which is a natural place. But when we're washed by the Holy Spirit, we move beyond number one. You are God's handiwork. A work of art created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You are uniquely made to do great things. You are uniquely made to do great things. I want to pray with you and then I'll let you go today. Would you bow your heads with me? Father in heaven, Thank you that uh, for this army that is assembled here in this room. This group of people who uh, are uniquely gifted to make a difference here in this world. God, thank you for the um, ways that you have um, put DNA in each and every one of us. God, that you've called us to be your children and as children, you have a unique role for us to play. God, I, I love the image that we're an army. We're an army and you, you are the commander in chief. And we want to respond to you, God, in what way do you want to use us to make a difference? In what way do you want to use us to love people here in this community, here in this city, around the world? Transform our ambitions for your kingdom, we pray. Amen.